2: Right now on FAST, Nike shares heading sharply lower after its latest earnings report. The stock is now down three percent. We're dialed into the call. We'll bring you all the details and the trade. Plus a micron meltdown just 24 hours ago. Investors were cheering a more than 5% post-earnings pop. But the stock gave up those gains and then some during today's session. What the reversal says about the state of this stock. And later Fidelity jumps on the bandwagon Bitcoin bandwagon. Disney tries to find some magic and Apple closes in on $3 trillion. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money live from the NASDAQ Market Site On the desk tonight, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, Guy Dami, and Tim Seymour. We're going to get to Nike in just a moment. But first, on a day where the Dow outperformed big tech and rates hit levels not seen since the SVB collapse, we thought we'd ask our traders one simple question. Mm. What chart tells the true tale of what is going on in the markets? Dan, which chart did you choose?
3: All right. So I have a friend, Liz Young. You know, she's on the yes. Halftime Report. Well, she's so actually hard. our friend.
4: Uh, Collectively. Uh, Collectively.
3: uh, Collectively. Brilliant strategist over there at the SoFi. And she tweeted this out. I'm not on Twitter anymore. Someone actually had forwarded it over email, but she tweeted out a chart the other day of the S&P 500, okay, versus where real rates are. So that would be, you know, interest rates relative to inflation. I thought this was really interesting because you see that divergence, right? And Guy Adami has been talking about this a lot. He's seen a lot of the performance in the S&P 500 this year is really multiple expansion, right? And so we've often quoted where the S&P 500 is trading at about 19 times on a forward basis, which I think per fact set is above the 5 and 10 year averages is down there near 18. So something's got to give Between where the Fed is bringing interest rates, right, and relative to inflation expectations and where valuations, the S&P 500 are trading. So I think this is a really interesting chart. And I think it could actually be the key to how stocks perform in the second half of the year when we have better clarity on inflation, better clarity on where um, interest rates are going to go or stay. And really, something's got to give with the stock market.
2: Yeah. Something's got to give, meaning stocks have to come down. Or you just
3: see, like, yes, I mean, like, I think that probably has to happen.
2: Yeah. Tim, do you think that's, that's how something gives in this scenario?
5: I do. Uh, And I would point to a chart that's all about rates as well. And I I agree that real rates are way too low. Uh, S&P should not be trading at a forward multiple above where it was trading pre-COVID. So Dan's chart, Liz Young's chart, uh, all all great stuff. I I would show that the the two year chart uh, is one that we're within 15 bips of the high for this This period, but we're within essentially 15 bips of a 16-year high in two-year rates. Another 25 bips or so on that, and you're back to 2006 or 2007. So uh, you're at you're at an extraordinary place here for the consumer. And and we saw jobless claims this morning. We saw GDP upward revisions this morning that were probably consumer-based. In other words, they were better than people had expected in terms of consumption level, but. I'm looking at disposable income uh, as a percentage, uh, uh, debt levels as a percentage of uh, disposable income, almost 10%. I'm looking at at, uh, debt coverage ratios at 17 year highs. I'm looking at consumer credit that's up 12.5% over the last 12 months to 1.23 trillion or so. It's just, you know, at some point, this is the problem that rates haven't been this high and they're going up off of zero. So equity valuations are reflected from the long end, which is what I think Dan and Liz are talking about about. And I would just put the pressure on the consumer here. I think the consumer is under a lot of pressure. And I think it means and we'll talk about retail later in the show with Jerry Storch. But this has a lot of implications for retail stocks uh, and even hard lines, soft lines and other places that have been defensive.
2: I feel like it's sort of a a companion chart because Guy has the tenure. It's
6: interesting that Mm -hmm. Tim and I would be companions. It's (laughs) it's, went to school together. And remember Absolutely. the other night when Absolutely. Tim couldn't hear, we couldn't hear Tim, remember how nice I was to him, oh. remember? Yeah. I he said he it, had
2: good hair, he had steel <laughs> dry, yeah. great We could have gone all, oh, direction. Direction. all, these, all
6: the the whole real deal. Thank you. Know, you. Know, sorry. Your chart? Oh, I thought <laughs> I didn't realize you were not come to me. Yeah. My nice. chart is, again, it is a companion to Tim's, and it's choose tens, which is now either side of a 1% inversion, and I think six of the last, well, basically, since Fed tightening cycles have occurred, It's predicted six, basically, recessions out of seven. A a magnitude that we're seeing now, 100% inversion since the 1950s has led to a recession, I think, 80-something percent of the time. And with the steepness of it now, we haven't seen that in the last, I don't know, 40-something years. And typically, the range is 15 months from when it started. And we're right there. I think August, September, October puts you right in the window. So again, I'm not an economist, but I think people were sort of... Not looking at this closely enough to indicate what it's going to mean in the months to come, Melms.
2: There's no shot in your head that that the markets see or are pricing in a recession at this point? Uh,
6: If the market is pricing in a recession at the multiple we're trading at. Or that we had priced
2: in a recession?
6: Yeah. uh, Listen, is there going to be a soft landing? Have they been able to navigate this? Does this inversion mean nothing? The fact that we've been inverted for about 13, 14 Mm -hmm. months, 100 basis points probably headed at this point to 125 Could that be an anomaly? Absolutely, the market says that right now. I just don't believe that's gonna be the case.
7: Mm -hmm. Karen, what's your chart? (laughs) Yeah, so I had sort of a different take on the question Mm. and my chart is just a very long look back at the S&P and to me that you know what does that tell you that you want to be in the S&P over time and when you step back i mean sure there's dips in it there's the snl crisis there's the uh, the bubble of uh, the first dot com bubble there's the great financial crisis there's the pandemic and i am long in, into every single crisis i'm always long and i just think you can see from this chart just the power of compounding it just you want to be in the market so to me that's sort of the I don't know the squigglies, how they're going to work. Mm-hmm. I just want to stay long. So that's the chart that is sort of
3: I, I think what you're thing. saying is the most important thing about anybody who wants to invest a dollar in the market. I've heard you, I heard you say it on her podcast actually <laughs> the other day and yeah. honestly it was how great. She I know we does talked it, No, anyway, but you guys it. you guys did talk about this and yeah. I actually think it's really important. Okay? So the show's called Fast Money here and a lot of us grew up as traders, some people grew up as investors, but your point is an amazing one. Let's just look at the last 3 years, right? The S&P topped out in February of 2020 at 3600. It went down 35% in a black swan event to 2,200 or whatever the heck it is, and here we are now at 4,400. We were 4,800. If you just invested the same dollar amount every month, every quarter, of this, that, you'd be doing fantastic. And that's the squiggly that you're talking about. But the fast money component of this is like, if you're tuning into this, you like the day-to-day, you yeah, like the, the action. action, you like the different stories, and, the stuff. and sometimes, so we get in the weeds a little bit about that. And I always say to people that if you are invested in the long term, you take advantage of that compounding nature. But sometimes, if like a portion of your investable assets is you like the action, right? You like like the stories like that the trading part about it is like that's where you're yoloing stuff whether it's crypto whether it's this <laughs> or whatever and so I, I agree with you i think that is the most important takeaway though of your chart too is like you always have to be in the market yes
7: you always right i can't figure out when to sell and then when to get back in mm-hmm. and have it wake up for taxes i mean there's no shot of my getting that right both ways but in terms I
2: mean, of your take on what the squiggly does next <laughs> it is what
7: I don't know. Um, <laughs> and I don't think it's a monolith. But you don't care right? if the
2: consumer is weak, right? That right? impacts a lot of your trades in terms of the, the retail component of your trades, like a Lowe's, for instance, or,
7: I mean, TJ yes. Maxx, you know, all of these. Right. Also, though, the, the market is a forward-looking mechanism, mm-hmm. right? And so it shouldn't be shocked every time that sometimes you get in these markets where the same news makes it go down again and again and again. And sometimes the market looks through. And I think generally the market kind of looks through.
6: May I ask you a qu- It's your show. You typically ask questions. <laughs> Am I, uh, will you give me this one? Yes. Um,
2: D- maybe I missed
6: you know, I, was, I wasn't here yesterday. So maybe, I may, maybe you discussed sure. it yesterday. I'm not quite sure. But. Is squiggly something? Is that some new financial term that I'm not aware of? <laughs> you've, you've used it a few
2: times now. I didn't personally. I didn't. I wasn't the first to bring up the squiggly. The squigglies. You know, it's like the squiggly is like the lower the, yeah. yeah. term yeah. trajectory. Of the market is higher. Uh-huh. So it's squiggly. But sometimes there are little squigglies. Huh. Meaning yeah. But, to there, go up, but yeah. there, there's yeah. a really important yeah. point, though. Yeah.
6: But
3: Mel, this is one thing that's really important. Is that like a lot of investors make a lot of decisions, like bad decisions, at highs and at lows. And I think that that's one of the reasons why we try to figure out where the next squiggly is going to mm-hmm. be because you right. don't want to be did buying
7: call the squiggly of the end of 21 right but you don't want to be
3: but you yeah. don't want to be buying into a mania right before you know that that thing might kind of deflate a little bit despite the fact that the long term is bottom left upper right for the whole thing right and that's why we talk about a lot of these rotations and everything and when you use that expression i love to get tim's kind of take on this really quickly too is like like, like when you think about all of the charts that we started with okay if we know over history History, like the 15 months from the time that the 210 inverts that we're likely to have you know like a, you know recession or this and that. well we're kind of there for all that sort of stuff so sometimes you throw out the forward-looking sort of thing I don't know because I, I, I know that he agreed with me that's why I wanted the guy to get Tim's <laughs> taken away like I think that yeah, I you mean, think, no yeah but if you think that the October well, I, I, lows discounted the recession that hasn't happened yet well then that's you're, you're doing that wrong a little bit too in my opinion.
2: Well, our next guest has his own so, so, tale of what is happening in the markets today and how uh, to play it going into the second half of the year. Tony Dwyer is a chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity. Tony, always good to see you. I'm squiggly um, today. What, What's the next <laughs> squiggly, Tony? That's the question.
8: So I love the conversation. First, you know, I was looking before I came on at, at what is getting priced into as a recession. So 54 percent of the S&P 500 is trading more than 20% 20 below its um, 52-week high. So there's still been a lot of weakness in the market despite the 14% move in the S&P 500. And just, Mel, speaking to um, the panel's discussion about earnings yield or two-year yield versus the earnings yield, think about this. When you look at the $220 earnings estimate for 2023 operating earnings, that's a consensus estimate. I'm at 210. If that $220 number, your earnings yield, which for the viewers is the inverse of the P.E., so that way you can compare it directly to interest rates, riskless rate of return, the six-month T-bill has given you a 542 you're getting a 5% using the 220 number on an earnings yield, again, E versus P. And on my number of 210, which may prove a little bit optimistic because I'm still in the recession camp, that gives give you a 475. So you have a riskless rate of return that's at least 42 basis points above a consensus number that's higher than my number, and my number is probably a little bit too high. So we're in this squiggly environment where a lot of stocks have already come down quite a bit from their peak, and they're sitting there. The average stock is only up, or not average stock, the median stock in the SP in the NYSE, this year so far is up three percent. So it's frustrating a lot of fund managers I talked to, myself included.
5: So so Tony I'm, hey, Tony, it's Tim. So let me try to synthesize the previous conversation and what you just said, because I think what you're saying is that that actually a, a Um, you know, an equal weighted S&P is not up that much. And maybe that's interesting. And the last conversation was really about uh, how can you be a long term investor, which we all recognize you want to be in terms of empirical results over time uh, at a a market top at a time when Apple, the biggest stock in the world in the market, is up 51 percent since January 4th. So how do you bring those two concepts together?
8: And, it, and it's the bigger bigger than the entire market cap of the Russell 2000. So tying that in, it doesn't take a lot of selling or a lot of profit-taking in those mega cap stocks to give a bid to the broad market. The broad market is nowhere near where that S&P 500 is where you've got the 19 multiple. I'd call it a 20 multiple on my number. And, and still, I know it's, it's not real popular. So here's an interesting thing, guys. We keep hearing that... We've been talking about a recession for the last X number of months. It's actually been about a, a year. The, me, the median duration between the initial inversion of the six-month to 10-year Treasury curve and the onset of a recession is 11 months. So if this is the most talked about recession of all time. How about the 21-month lead time going into the great financial crisis? I think one of the issues that we're seeing here is everybody's waiting for this, this kind of SVB moment, this catastrophe or this, this Lehman moment. How about we just get an old-school money contraction? There's three ways you can get money for the next leg of growth. You can earn it. We're already past peak earnings. That's the whole story of why the Fed is going to be able to cut rates down the road, less labor inflation. Um, You can get it from a bank, and we know they're not lending. After the SVB and the regulatory fear, lending standards are pretty, pretty tight. Or you can get it from your investments. And even on the gain of the S&P 500, you're still pretty well below where you were from a, an all-time high. So again, you know, I don't have a problem with, I you don't have to bet against it. The question is, do you want to bet with it when I can't find the money that's going to fund the next level of growth? And I got a riskless rate of return that's at least 42 basis points above the earnings yield on the S&P.
2: Tony, always good to see you. Thank you.
8: Thanks for having me, Mel. Good to see you, everybody. Have a happy fourth.
2: You too. Tony Dwyer, Canaccord Genuity. I mean, it's a good point on the six-month riskless five-and-a-half percent guy
6: tony always makes good points number one and i think what he's saying is don't get fooled the fact that nothing's happened yet don't be fooled by it because Mm -hmm. back in the day it took twenty one months to get to a level that we all remember And i don't think he's suggesting we're going back there but it's something to take into consideration i'm guilty of this all this time i think things should happen a lot faster than they have but the fact that it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that it won't And, and again in my opinion it's almost a foregone conclusion that the market, the stock markets can start to take in consideration 500 basis points of hikes and a yield curve where we're currently trading at.
7: So just in terms of soft landing, hard landing, I know you're going to hate this, but the landing, I think, Guy, is a carry Strug landing.
6: Oh, where she fakes yes. the injury oh. and I gets don't think she faked it. I think it's a, it's a hard <laughs>
7: landing, but she stuck it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can agree opinion.
6: to disagree. You know She's a she fan did. of the show, by the way, Sorry, Carrie. Huge. Not anymore. <laughs> she had some sort of knee
7: injury or
2: something. Ankle. <laughs> An ankle injury yes. and then still, yeah. uh, you know, competing. Yes. She got a perfect 10, right? No, I stop I don't know it. if she got good
6: said, enough. She Good I, enough.
7: She, it was... She was, That was her. What? Tim's going to chime in. It? No, because now don't. Tim's trying to curry well, no. favor
5: with all the with th- all the gymnasts think, out there. I, I think we're it. going. <laughs> we're about to go to July Fourth weekend and celebrate our country's birthday and and feel you know a lot of pride about our achievements. And we're going after one of the most decorated Olympic athletes of our time. I'm not I going after. What's wrong so I mean, here?
2: I I yeah. the box, yeah. On the you know yeah. cereal box. Come on, you can't go after. But in terms of what Karen oh. is saying about sticking the landing, that implies that Jerome Powell, he deserves a gold medal. Yes.
5: Yeah, I, I, well done there. Um, tying all the metaphors <laughs> together. And, and I think the, the presumption here is that the Fed has done just enough to get us back to be tight enough on policy to get us back to 2% without causing a recession. There's no way that's happened. It's never happened. Uh, and the Fed, who admittedly is, is waiting for data and is always behind the curve, they won't say that, but everybody else will. So, no, the, the, you can't have it both ways here. Um, we either have more to go, uh, and there's pain still to be had. Uh, but to say that we've done just enough to execute the perfect landing without limping off the mat, uh, I don't think so.
2: All right. Let's uh, take a check on shares of Nike Volatile After Hours. The athletic wear company reporting a beat on the top line but missing earnings. Uh, the stock is a quarter percent Company's conference call is underway. CNBC's Mike Santoli is following all the action there. Mike, what's the latest?
1: Yeah, Melissa, first earnings, uh, earnings miss for Nike in three years or so. Buy a penny, 66 cents versus 67. Worth noting, the estimate for this quarter that was just reported was 81 cents as of the end of February. So it's two quarters in a row where they've had a really downscale expectation still. Uh, the stock taking it a little bit tough. Now, below the surface, there's progress on some of the problem areas investors have been worried about. That would be China and inventories. A uh, big comeback in Chinese revenue growth, 16% year over year in the quarter. Uh, that was better than anticipated. You also did see inventories flat on a, a one-year basis, down sequentially, down in terms of volumes. Uh, basically, Nike on the call, John Donahue, the, uh, the CEO, saying we're back to health when it comes to where we are in inventories. Also highlighting things that they always do, like digital and direct sales, uh, very fast growth. there. digital up 26%. Uh, it's, still a, uh, it's also 23% of the overall revenue base, probably still some squeezing of the wholesale channel Uh, going on right there as well. So it seems as if, uh, you know, they're trying to make the case out there that the inflection point has been passed in terms of improvement on inventory and some of the global sales mid 30s. Percent growth on the top line for Jordan Brand, both in North America and internationally. So uh, clearly, they're, tr- they're they're saying the franchise is well intact, even if it's a little bit sloppy on the financial side. Gross margin down 140 basis points in the quarter, uh, and that accounts for the earnings miss. Mel, all
2: right, Mike. Thank you, Mike Santoli. They had to make a dent in the inventory somehow, Karen, and that was through a lot of discounting.
7: Right. Although, you know, Fort Lager had that disastrous quarter, which I'm quite familiar with because Mm -hmm. I've owned it for a a long time. But Nike went down in sympathy with that. Inventory was the problem there. And so I think this is somewhat digested. This shouldn't be this shouldn't be surprising at all. And I think it's it's not so surprising. uh, Tim had a good call on this one. Like, yeah, it's a great company, but a little overbought.
3: Yeah, we just spent a few minutes talking about the S&P at 19 or 20 times. Here's a stock that, you know, is, is growing earnings in the teens uh, on a percentage basis. I think that gross margin trend you want to obviously keep um, a close eye on because this is something that, given the inflationary environments and all the like, we've kind of been very in tune with over the last couple of years or so. But at 29 times, I mean, it's it's expensive for a company that's maybe executing OK. You know, there's a company that is always traded a premium in the market and many of its peers. But I don't think there's anything in this environment where you want to run out and go Buy a stock like this right now after that quarter.
2: Yeah, Tim, your call into the quarter was your long puts into the quarter, correct? You closing that out? No, I'm short the stock.
5: Are you short, short the stock? stock. Right. I've been short okay. the stock for 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 uh, you know eight weeks or so after it shot up into the near 130s and the view was valuation the view was like everything foot locker told us they're not the tail and Nike the dog but but they certainly are a canary uh, when they're 55 to 60 percent of their mix is, is Nike look I, again I get back to where I think we are with with soft lines even pre- s- soft lines in premium brands like Nike, where you just aren't going to see the consumer continue to have the ability to buy here. They warned that we were here. They've done a great job of turning around the inventory story. But back to that 28 and a half times uh, the four buck a, a share or 24 the street has, you know, what are you willing to pay? You shouldn't be paying a premium. It's it's kind of in line with its long term history. I think you should be paying a discount. It's not a broken company. I don't stay here forever, but I think it goes back to 100.
2: All right, coming up, a chip change of heart. Shares a Micron reversing course after yesterday's upbeat outlook. So why did the semi-stock end the day deep in the red? The traders dig into that next. Plus, cryptos come one, come all. Fidelity joining the rush of firms looking to launch a Bitcoin ETF. But with the uh, SEC still blocking the gates, do any of these funds have a future? We'll debate that when Fast Money returns.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. A major reversal for Micron today. The chip maker, which had been up as much as 5.3 percent after its earnings report last night, ended the day down more than 4 percent. Micron is up almost 30 percent this year, but has been underperforming the broader chip space over the past month or so. Um, Guy, you were talking about this on the call.
6: 55% year over year decline in revenue. I was i was actually paying attention to this, it's the cheapest thing you can do yesterday. Was, I'm saying, why I'm looking at, I'm looking at the numbers and what the hell is Mike? Why is it higher? It made no sense to me. I mean, most things don't, as you know. And now this actually <laughs> does make sense to me. Then you layer on top of it, obviously what's going on in China, the headwind's there. And now it starts to make a little more sense. And then you look at this company, which we talk about all the time, as much as we'd like to say they're through the commoditization phase of their company they're not and you're seeing it play out right before your very eyes so it's not surprising that it's lower it should actually be lower than it currently is there'll be a level to buy it but this was not a particularly strong quarter
2: what about the earnings because yesterday the reaction immediately was good is that the revenue revenues came in better and the guidance wasn't
6: that's what i enough? was maybe it was a guidance thing i don't know because I'm, I'm telling you i was actually watching in real time and i'm like this doesn't make any sense i don't know what people are looking at necessarily i think the proper reaction is the reaction we're seeing now
5: yeah tim well it, you know the, the bottom may be in in terms of both destocking and inventories and maybe starting to see some stabilization and demand but how excited are you at the top or, or for the top is is my point and, and i guess you know, I don't think, I don't think Micron really has underperformed that massively the, the semis, which have outperformed. I mean, it's underperformed by about 7% if you look at the socks over the last six months. And, and I just don't think that there's a lot to be excited about. Uh, I think there's margin pressure too, that I think that's what the street's responding to. And I think you're seeing uh, folks, you know, follow through and worry that margins continue to get worse. So I, I think that's the reaction here. It's that things are probably better, uh, but this is a glass half empty, not full.
2: Yeah, significant headwind from China is what the CEO said, and I'm surprised that at that time that the stock didn't have more of a reaction to that. Too.
3: Yeah, you know, it's interesting, and Tim mentioned this yesterday or the other day on the show, and Carter's been talking about the the semis um, on their relative performance to the S&P 500, and they've not been able to make a new high. And when you look at the SMH the ETF the tracks the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index, you see that right now, I mean, Nvidia, which we know is up, you know, 200 percent or something on the year, it's gained, you know, a half a trillion dollars in market cap, um, is 18, 19 percent of the weight of that index in Taiwan Semiconductor. Again, so when you talk about China and you think about the boost that we know that Nvidia got out of Chinese buyers of these chips in front of these bands, um, you know, th- there's there's risk because the rest of the semiconductor space is actually deteriorating a little bit from some of that early outperformance so to me i think the whole sector is sitting in the hands of that stock right now and i just don't see it kind of sticking around here for too much longer you're still short a little bit (laughs) a little bit yeah okay i mean you know shorts you know they get smaller as it goes yeah yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) there's a lot more fast money to come here's what's coming up next
1: crowding into crypto More firms lining up to launch Bitcoin ETFs and other products. Will regulators finally budge? And what does it all mean for the trades? And we're diving back into Nike earnings. How inventories, supply chains, and even theft are impacting the athletic giant. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin putting in another strong day, staying above the key 30,000 level as Fidelity throws its name back in the ring for a spot Bitcoin ETF. The firm filing today for its wise origin Bitcoin trust. The SEC denied Fidelity's first application for the fund more than a year ago. CME Group also announcing today that it plans to launch an Ether Bitcoin ratio futures product on July 31st, pending review by regulators. Seems like everybody's diving in. Somebody you know, knows something. You know our friend
3: Stuart Sot from Current, who's been on the show? Mm-hmm. Okay, so he mentioned this to me the other day. I thought this was really interesting. So look at what all the enforcement action, all the regulation that came after Binance and FTX right. and all these other things, and now, all the organizations like the Black Rocks and the Fidelities that the regulators know really well, they play yep, in the sandbox, yep. are coming in after all that. And I thought that was a really interesting way to think about it and think about what's happened to Bitcoin since all of this has transpired from the lows in, in the FTX period late last year to all the stuff over the last couple of months or so. So again, I, I think it probably gives some credence to the space. And I think if Black Rock and Fidelity and Fidelity has been really early, they have a whole crypto um, wallet built into yeah. their sort of thing, um, you know, it probably puts a floor to some degree in, in at least the underlying assets, might
7: be. GPTC. Mm-hmm. GPTC is just a rocket ship. Yeah. I mean, it's it, so the discount is still pretty big, though 28% discount to NAV. Now, it used to be GPTC was real, one of the only ways to play it. It also traded a big premium. The premium days are over. One won't need to do that. There's going to be probably a handful of, but still, 28% discount is a lot, though. The, however, this run, I think, is so big. I think it's gonna take a little time for this one to get unlocked.
2: Let's say all these ETFs get approved, Tim. Is that bad for Coinbase? There are other ways to invest without buying the actual, you know, crypto?
5: Yeah, possibly. I mean, I, I think the question really is what's what's the special sauce? What's the value that they can provide up and beyond what all these other platforms are doing? Um yeah, to the extent that they are fighting the SEC the SEC as we speak, I mean, claiming that they don't even have the regulatory authority uh to be acting as they are. They 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 hope to throw this lawsuit out. By the way, Coinbase is up almost 60% off of that SEC bottom of whatever that was 3 weeks ago. Um yeah, look, I you know Coinbase is, was, was a, a first mover and certainly as first mover, uh, you know, kind of branding around them. So, um, but I think other people will be able to do the same thing there. Right now, um, Coinbase is certainly not trading as it was correlated to Bitcoin historically. It's trading based upon the pressure on them.
2: Coming up, we are digging in on Nike's numbers. Our next guest breaks down the latest results and the big threat facing retail. More on that next. And time to take a bite out of Apple. The chartmaster thinks the tech giant's record gains may be about to sour. Don't go anywhere. Back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's get a check at how the markets ended the day with just one trading day left in the quarter. The Dow jumped more than 250 points. The S&P up half a percent, and the Nasdaq finishing flat, but still up nearly 30 percent this year. On pace for its best first half since 1983. And take a look at some of the newest market entrants. Three IPOs started trading today. Thrift store company Savers Value Village surging more than 27 percent. NatGas stock Kodiak Gas services down by 2 percent. And Fidelis Insurance falling nearly 8 percent. Well, Nike shares are down in the after-hours session. The athletic retailer reporting its first EPS miss in three years, but it did beat revenue estimates for the seventh time in a row, albeit modestly. The conference call is underway right now. Let's bring in longtime retail executive Jerry Storch of Storch Advisors to discuss Nike and more. He is known for running Toys R Us and Hudson's Bay. Jerry, great to have you with us. My pleasure. What's your take on, on a stock like Nike, um, you know, as we enter sort of a period where there are question marks around the consumer's ability to keep spending?
4: Hey, look, unbelievable brand, fantastic future. Uh, you know, they make their own product. What, you know, that's the ideal, being a retailer. But we're entering a time which, in my opinion, is going to be quite challenging for consumers. Uh, we continue to see persistent inflation because uh, we're streets are definitely stressed we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow with student loans but you know that's not good either so generally speaking uh, i'm not sold that the consumer is healthy and i'm concerned about what things are going to look like as we get closer to christmas
2: how about the argument that there are some consumers who are not as impacted and that they will keep spending does nike not fall into that category of the kind of retailer where they will keep spending does it have to be you know higher up the food chain so to speak
4: I don't think there's anywhere that's totally safe. There's no doubt that a, that a strong brand like Nike is in a much better position than a weaker brand. Uh, that being said though, uh, consumers are simply spending less on things, you know, on goods. And uh, when you inflation adjust retail sales, it's been eight or nine straight months that sales have been negative. So basically buying less goods than consumers have in the past. We all say, OK, they've migrated to services. And there's no doubt the airlines are strong. You heard that from Delta. Uh, accommodations are strong. But even that is slowing down on a year-over-year basis. And most of the so-called increase in services spending is actually being spent on health care and rent, you know, on housing, uh, areas where consumers have to, pay, have to pay for products that have gone up in price, as well as, of course, there's a pandemic rebound on the healthcare side.
7: Uh, hey, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. Uh, I was surprised to read that 25 to 49-year-olds have a big portion of student debt. I was actually thinking it would be lower. So that was interesting as I'm trying to look somewhere to where to hide. I've been hiding some in very, very high-end retail like a Louis Vuitton or a Karen. Again, I wonder what you think of that.
4: Well, high-end retailing has also been stressed, particularly in the United States. Some of that is because a big part of the growth was taking place. In the aspirational segment, these are younger than your traditional, you know, well-heeled, older uh, people who who, uh, are spending in their retirement years on very expensive uh, goods. These are people who might buy, for example, a pair of very expensive uh, Gucci sneakers, if you want to think about Nike sneakers and Gucci sneakers, you know, for $800 or $1,000, but not do a lot of that. So we've seen that fall off a cliff in recent months as they're just not spending that kind of money. And even though it's true, of course, the 80-20 rule that most of the money in luxury is spent by the richest people, it doesn't help when you lose the 20. So we see that taking place. Uh, By and large, the other part of the retail luxury market, the other high-end customers, will keep spending as long as the stock market does well because that's the highest correlation there is anywhere in retailing between stock market performance and luxury spending. But if the stock market stalls out, I would expect that to stall out as well.
2: Um, Jerry, you know, we haven't even seen the economy take that much of a dip so far, I mean, in terms of being in a recession, and yet we're seeing high levels of shrink to the point where retailers are citing it as an issue on their conference calls. Um, how do you expect that, that sort of problem to sh- shape up as we go into more of a, a, the downturn mode, when people are actually losing their jobs, unemployment ticks higher, and, and the consumer is even under more pressure than he or she is right now?
4: Well, mo- you know, Shrink has been growing rapidly, double digits over the last several years during the pandemic and, and in recent years, uh, in recent year uh, as well. So it's probably closing in on $100 billion in terms of a tax on the retail system, like retailers needed another headache in addition to si- supply chain increases, wage increases, raw materials cost increase. Now we have growing, growing theft taking place. But most of that is organized crime. You have to keep that in mind. And why has organized crime increased so much? Well, it's easier to fence the goods. The rise of online marketplaces has certainly fueled the ability to liquidate the products very rapidly. And additionally, the laws have changed, making the the risk that if you get caught, uh, it's much less likely you're going to serve time. So the risk benefit has gotten more in favor of organized crime, and they've been doing more stealing, both earlier in the supply chain, off trucks at the port, uh, off trains, uh, out of warehouses, and and just slash and grab in stores. Uh, It always took place in retail before, but it's definitely increased dramatically. And, you know, there is a new law that went into place just this week, the Inform Act, that's supposed to make it more transparent on these online marketplaces. Who's selling what? So it's not supposed to be as easy to sell those goods. But I have a lot of confidence in the ability of the crooks to adapt just like they have in cybercrime. And they've been moving off of the more uh, known online marketplaces like eBay or Amazon or wherever onto P2P exchanges where, you know, the so-called dark web, where they can sell these goods uh, in, in, uh, and continue to thrive. So I think it's going to keep going, unfortunately, without a lot of effort.
2: All right, uh, Jerry, great. Good to see you. Thank you. My Jerry Storch, um, we are getting some headlines out of the Nike call on guidance. A Nike executives saying expect a full year 2024 reported revenue to grow mid single digits. This is according to the conference call. The stock is down by three and a third percent. Um, so we're going to watch this very closely. I'm not sure how that shapes up versus what consensus was for the guidance, but we will check that out. Meantime, coming up, not a lot of magic left in this stock, but one analyst is saying, it's a whole new world for Disney and it ain't looking pretty, where they say this one is heading next. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Um, call of the day here on Disney. KeyBank downgrading the stock to a sector weight from overweight. Analysts saying it is too soon to call a bottom in the stock, citing challenges across the media giant, streaming parks, and content sales businesses, Disney share is finishing just barely in the green today, up only 2% on the year. Really not much of a reaction to a downgrade here, um, Tim.
5: Well, uh, it's at two year lows. I mean, what do you what do you want? I mean, it's, I'm not saying that, and I don't know the ratings history of the analyst on this, but it's, it's not a big shock to understand that Disney streaming business has been stagnating, that they had the sweet spot of COVID to launch into, uh, and that it's not a profitable business. I, I mean I'd definitely push back on this though. I'd push back on the international and domestic theme park business is crushing it. Uh, I'd push back on margins that I think are improving. Obviously, the company's uh, gained some rationalization in terms of the streaming business, and I don't think it's growth at all costs. Um, You know, Differentiating of the bundle and what you're getting there, uh, I'll I'll let others decide on that. Disney's a brand, and its content is certainly at times thought to be the best or some of the best out there. Um, So, uh, again, to me at these levels, and let's be clear, the stock's at a COVID low level here. Um, so, uh, with a business that's significantly healthier than where it was at that point, I realized that uh, you know markets react to sentiment, and certainly the COVID low might not even have priced in some of the uh, the, the negative cash flow dynamics yet. Although, again, we thought we did.
6: It's interesting. This is I hear Tom Rogers' voice in this note, and who's that person? The TRB on the halftime report, Josh, Brown? Josh Brown, is that superfluous and. In- TRB because the T is the TR The, reform the broker. TRB, yeah. So there's no reason to say right. it. It's like PIN number. But I'll say <laughs> this. These are all things we already, so they're not really divulging anything new, and that was Josh's point. Doesn't mean they're wrong, though, necessarily. And, you know, what Tom said for a while, I mean, this is just a floundering business. Netflix specifically is eating their lunch. We played that game the other day, the Would You Rather game. You did a really often, odd one, but the Netflix, I forget it was so, so was odd. But we talked about, you know, Netflix has like some tailwinds versus Delta. No, it was a home builder. It was a home builder. And you yeah, got you nailed all that. at it. And I, I played your I it. game.
2: You nailed it. You were up in my grill yeah, about I was, that. I got, <laughs> up, I got
6: up on your grill. I think 84 traded down to in December of 22. That feels like it's got a bullseye on its back.
2: Coming up. Apple looking all gold and delicious. doesn't near a three trillion dollar market cap, but is this one about to fall far, far from the tree? The charm master joins us next and he's doubling down. on this short call, the reason, straight ahead. Fast lane's back in two. How funny here. Uh, another check on Nike here sees fiscal Q1 revenue flat to up a low single digit, sequential improvement in gross margin down 50 to 75 basis points. It also expects full year 2024 gross margins to expand 140 to 160 basis points on a reported basis. The stock is down three and uh, just about 3.4 percent, so not too much reaction so far to this guidance. Tim, what is your take on, on what the company has said so far?
5: Well, I, I I don't believe as great of a brand as it is that they're bulletproof to consumption trends, and especially as you get into apparel. And and so like, it, it's it's about um, margins that I think are, are weakening a bit. Um, they've done a great job avoiding mass promotions, and, and I think it's about valuation. As, as I said, it, it just doesn't get away from you on the upside. Uh, the trends mm-hmm. aren't going to improve dramatically. And in fact, I think it's still about figuring out where the bottom is on those trends. They, they didn't give you any reason uh, to feel as if their business is strengthening here.
2: Turning now to Apple, which closed at a record high for a third day in a row. The tech giant inching closer to that $3 trillion market cap. The chart master has been bearish on the stock for a few months now. So where does he stand? Let's bring in the chart master himself, Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting. Carter, you're still negative, huh?
9: Yeah, I I just don't uh, buy into what is considered a very steep, uncorrected angle. Uh, Sequencing is important. And as strong as it's been, Uh, Perpetual motion machines don't exist, right? Uh, uh, We're getting into that kind of thing. But what's remarkable, and we'll see this next, is how poor Apple has actually been relative to its sector. Um, In terms of what to do, if you're long and you've sold none, look, I've put it here on the screen, sell some. If you're long and you've sold some already, sell some more. If you're not involved, do you put new money to work in Apple here? Uh, If you think that's a good idea, I'll take the other side of that bet. I would initiate shorts. And if you're short, you press them. At least that's how I see it. But let's look at the charts and try to figure out the way forward together. Um, This is a comparative chart. and, And this is important in the sense that this is where we were at the end of Q3, September 30, 2022. And what's remarkable, despite all of Apple's efforts, it is lagging its sector and it's lagging dramatically Um, the Fang index. And you can see that there. And so as good as it's been, it's not actually generating alpha compared to its peer group. Uh, Let's look at a relative chart, not a comparative chart. So this is simply a ratio chart, one thing divided by another. It's Apple relative to XLK, to its sector. And we see that it's been going straight up. That's the blue line. But look what's happened since September 30. We've started to dip. I think that period of underperformance that's been underway since September will carry until we get down to that trend line as depicted by the arrows. You'll see it in the next iteration. I think ultimately we'll get down all the way to that uptrend line on the RSI chart. Uh, Final chart, Apple itself, Uh, what do we know? We know it has just made slight new highs. It's in a steep, uncorrected uh, advance. And again, back to sequencing, When you're ascending in a steeper and steeper angle, the risks, while I can keep going, increase that you will have what is called a correction. It's in the etymology of the word it implies that something's incorrect about the ascent. So whether you call it a dip or a correction or a decline or a drop or a sell off or a drawdown, it doesn't matter what word you want to use. That's what's likely sooner rather than later.
2: Just quickly, Carter, if you want to trim your Apple position, but you still want to be in technology, which stock would you potentially rotate into?
9: Well, I would either do it through the group, because that's the pure play, do XLK, um, or pick up something that's, um, that's had a big move that has dipped a little bit. Um, certain semiconductors, I would do the SMH, uh, or, uh, you know, frankly, I think Intel, a real dog, is starting to bottom.
2: Ah, huh. Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton Worth. He self. Would you rather? By the way, <laughs>
5: but I allowed. thought it was an
2: interesting. You know, he would choose Intel uh, over Apple at this point. Tim, would you agree with that?
5: Well, he did call it a dog, didn't he? Um, so, <laughs> uh, you know, I think you have a dynamic with Intel that, for me, you know. And this reminds me of you know, he was listening to Carter. He's a wordsmith, and he was breaking down. He's doing, you know. Uh, Ed's wordsmithing uh, what correction means. Yesterday or two days ago, you asked what's the difference between, I don't know, a, a laggard and an underperformer um, or something like that. And in, in, in Intel's case, it's not that it's a laggard. In, Intel's had structurally broken elements of their business that I think have, have, have not necessarily been corrected overnight, but are on their way to correcting, and that they certainly will be competing in, in some of these hot spots at some point. That's kind of the reason why I think Intel is, is something I can own here. And, mm-hmm. and it doesn't, you know, dog versus Apple. I mean, I, I Apple against the SMH or Apple against the Qs, I think makes more sense.
2: All right, options traders are a little bit more constructive on the stock, at least in the short term. Mike has got the action, Mike.
6: Yeah. Uh, so we did see Apple was the second busiest single stock option today, mostly short date all buying, most of that expiring at the end of the week. The largest activity we saw that does not expire tomorrow was the July 14th 197 and a half calls. We saw about 23 and a half thousand of those trading for just under 30 cents. I will say that while the stock hit these all-time highs, the options are trading essentially at five-year lows in terms of implied volatility. People are probably just a fear missing out cheap bits to the upside. I don't know that this is necessarily chasing the stock.
2: Mike, thanks. Mike Co. for more options action. Tune into the full show. That is tomorrow, 5 30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour.
5: Yeah, gold has not loved the Fed or interest rates moving higher, but I think GDX is at the bottom of an uptrend all the way back to last September, and you buy it here.
7: Chairwoman. Yes. For reasons having nothing to do with Carter's, I look at things totally differently but came to the same conclusion. Sell some Apple calls. If you're long, sell some calls to get Dan?
3: I look at things exactly the way Carter does, and I see what he sees. And when I think about what my co had to say about the options in Apple, they are cheap. Looking out to August 4th expiration, which will catch earnings 2.5% of the stock price to buy that at-the-money put. To me, that looks like a cheap way to play
6: Carter's call. Guy. Crack spreads are very favorable for Valero. That's VLO Melissa.
2: All right, thanks for watching Fast CBC documentary, China's Corporate Spy War with Eamon Jabbers starts
0: right now. warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash fast money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.